Amen. All right, have a seat if you would. If you've got a Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 5. Good uh, morning, and we're glad uh, that you're with us today. And so uh, we're, we're continuing in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, today we're, we're going to talk about physical and spiritual healing. And, and, and really, you know, when you're we're doing a long series through a book of the Bible, uh, it, it's interesting sometimes. I think it's providential, really, how uh, you know God just kind of intersects a particular text of Scripture with needs in the life of a church at a given time. And, and I and I really think that that's what's happening today. You know, it just seems like it's kind of it's been odd over the last few weeks at True Life. Uh, how many people have faced or are facing just different kinds of health problems? And I'm not talking about like cold and flu season kind of stuff. I'm talking about, you know, more serious stuff. Uh, in, in some cases, some really unusual type things like Pastor Philip, you know, just out of the blue, having a lymph node, you know, swell up massively large and uh, then it going away, but then saying it was squamous cell carcinoma, which is skin cancer, but it's showing up in a lymph node, but then, and, and, you know, being there when they biopsied it, then doing a PET scan and they couldn't find anything. And, you know, he has to have some follow-up testing, but we hope that that means God just answered prayers and there's been a miracle and he's cancer-free, and, but, you know, that'll have to be confirmed. But I'm just talking about, you know, stuff that's both unusual and serious uh, like that, and just a lot of people dealing with that kind of thing. And so uh, we're going to look at a text this morning that where Jesus healed a leper. And so we're going to talk about physical healing. We're also going to talk about spiritual healing because in the Bible, leprosy is a picture of sin. And so that this is a picture of the atonement of Christ. It's, it's a picture uh, of, of salvation and how Jesus uh, changes us. But, you know, when it comes to physical healing, even among Christians, there's kind of a wide range of thought on it. I mean, there are Bible-believing Christians who would say that miracles are a thing of the past, that that was a different age, and that God doesn't miraculously heal people today. That's kind of you know, one extreme over here. Kind of on the, the other side of the road, so to speak, you have uh, the prosperity gospel. And um, here's an example of that. I can give a lot of examples. But Kenneth Hagin said that I believe it is the plan of God our Father that no believer should ever be sick. Now, let me just ask you a question, okay? Audience participation. Have you ever been sick? Okay. Does that mean that you're out of the plan of God, out of the will of God, that, that something's wrong with you? Don't respond to this. I'm going to ask you another question. I mean, do you have maybe some kind of chronic illness? I mean, what does that say about where you are spiritually if, if that's true? I mean, to be honest, I mean, if we went around the room and it'd just be boring and depressing, but, uh, it, it, but I mean, probably all of us over a certain age, there's something wrong with all of us, right? I mean, there's just something that's not exactly right. And I mean, that's just life in a fallen world. But uh, Hagen goes on to say, it is not, I state boldly, it is not the will of God my Father that we should suffer with cancer and other dread diseases which bring pain and anguish. No, it is God's will that we be healed. And so 
you know, does this mean if you say you're a Christian and you're sick and God's not healed you, that something's wrong with you, that you're sick, that you're in sin, that you don't have enough faith, uh, in which, you know, prosperity gospel teachers usually say those kind of things. So that's a couple of extremes. But I think, honestly, most of us are more in the middle and we're more like, well, why am I sick? Why is there so much sickness and suffering in the world? Um, you know, why do we have to go through whatever thing that it is that we're going through? And you can just kind of fill in the blank uh, on uh, your problem. Or it may be, it's like, okay, I believe God heals, but why does he heal in this case and he doesn't heal in this case? Why did he heal this person and he doesn't heal this person? Why did he heal me that time, but he's not healing me this time? And I'm not saying I've got all the answers to these questions. I'm just saying I think we wrestle with these kind of things. This is more where most of us are. And so uh, we're going to look at this text. And, uh, but I'm also today, because really we're going to encounter a lot of healing miracles in the life of Jesus, I want to take a few minutes in the middle of the message and just try to lay out what I think is kind of a biblical theology of healing that hopefully will be practically helpful to you today as you face these things, but also kind of give us a foundation as we look at these passages, as we go through the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to talk about physical healing, but again, we're also going to talk about spiritual healing. We're going to talk about salvation. And here's the reality, and I don't want this to sound callous because um, if, if you are uh, in a health struggle today or someone you love is, I feel for you. I mean, I, I wish I had the gift of healing and I could just make it better. I would do that if I could. I'd go to Children's Hospital if I had that gift. I wouldn't be running a miracle crusade in an arena somewhere. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's a problem with that. That's part of the problem with the whole prosperity gospel thing. But... Um, I mean, I want you to be well physically, but you could be in awesome health. And if you die without Jesus and are under eternal condemnation, it's not going to do you any good. And the reality is, I mean, even if God heals you of something today, something else is going to happen, and you're going to die. And so spiritual healing or salvation is way more important than physical healing. Physical healing is not unimportant, it's just not the most important. So, talk about physical healing, we're talking about spiritual healing. So, Luke 5, starting verse 12, just a little background on leprosy before we read the passage. So, uh, modern day leprosy, and it's not eradicated, not even in the United States, not completely, is known as Hansen's disease. When the, when the Bible talks about leprosy, and there's two whole chapters about it, Leviticus 13 and 14, it's mentioned around 55 times in the Old Testament, I think 13 times in the New Testament. It, the, the, the biblical term for leprosy could actually cover a wide range of things. It could be uh, talking about Hansen's disease, modern-day leprosy as we know it. It could be some other infectious uh, catching skin kind of conditions. It could actually, in some cases, because it talks about, um, you know, in houses, that kind of, it actually refer to mold and mildew in some cases in, in, in the biblical uh, context. But, um, you know, when, when someone was diagnosed with leprosy by the priest in the Old Testament, they were to be isolated, they had to cry unclean because, you know, again, it's a picture of spiritual uh, sickness. Leprosy is catching 
but it's not highly contagious. I always thought like, you know, if you touch somebody with leprosy, you're going to get leprosy. That is probably not the case. Uh, most people have natural immunity to it, and it would probably take some prolonged exposure to it uh, to catch it. Uh, another thing I've learned about leprosy uh, that's different than what I always thought, if you've seen lepers who are disfigured, it is actually probably not the disease itself causing that. Technically, leprosy is not really a skin condition. It's more a, a condition of the central nervous system. It's actually a slow-acting bacteria and really, if, if people, I mean, they could have skin things going on, but if people, like if they're missing fingers or whatever, they're actually disfigured because of leprosy, it's probably not the leprosy itself. It's probably a side effect in that leprosy numbs where lepers don't feel pain, which we hear that. We think, hey, that'd be good to not feel pain. That's actually not the case. God has designed pain uh, uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually to have a protective mechanism for us. So a leper who doesn't feel pain could grab something that's burning, that's greatly injuring him or her and it not hurt. And so that's where a lot of this figuring comes from, is more from, from injuries. Um, you know, in, in the Old Testament, like I say, lepers are supposed to be isolated. It was more than this if they were downwind, but I found this, I never knew this, it's really interesting. But in general, a leper was supposed to stay six feet away from anybody else. It was like the original social distancing. So uh, this was not new in COVID. This goes back uh, to ancient Israel, which is, like I say, really, really interesting. But so with that in mind, let's, let's read this passage in Luke chapter 5. It, it says, and it happened... When he, Jesus, was in a certain city, that it, behold, a man who was full of leprosy. So again, this might be Hansen's disease, might be some other kind of infectious skin disease, but apparently he was covered with it. So, so understand, he, he's in a bad way physically, but remember, he had to be isolated. So he's separated from his family, he can't work. This is reducing him uh, probably to a beggar. He's having to live off the charity uh, of other people. I mean, it's, it's a horrible thing. But it says he saw Jesus. And so uh, apparently he's desperate enough that he goes against what he's supposed to do. He comes around people. He says he fell on his face and he implored him. He begged Jesus saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then verse 13 to me is the key to the whole text. It's so beautiful. What a picture of the gospel. It says that Jesus put out his hand and touched him. He touched a leper. And he's saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. So physical healing, Jesus touched this man and instantaneously miraculously, supernaturally healed him, cleansed him, took all of this away. But again, this is a picture of the gospel. And here's the beautiful thing. However defiled we are by sin, we can come to Jesus and Jesus will still touch us and he'll take all of that away. He'll cleanse us without defiling himself. That's the picture here. And so he tells this man something very interesting in verse 14. People Asked why would he do this? He says he charged him to tell no one. And people are like, why would he tell him to tell no one? He said, just go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. Well, why would Jesus tell him to do this? Well, I think the, the text itself tells us there's two reasons. One, 
He told them to go obey the law. That's what the law said you did in Leviticus 13 and 14. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. But he also said to do it as a testimony. In other words, he had to follow the process so it would be validated so that he was actually healed. And then they would learn that he was healed by Jesus. So this would be a witness and a testimony to the priest and the religious leaders that Jesus had done this miracle. But it says, uh, verse 15, however, the report went, uh, went around concerning him all the more. So I don't know if this guy just couldn't contain himself. and He told it. The priest told it. I mean, somebody gets healed of leprosy. The word's going to get out. The word gets out. And it says, great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And so verse 16, uh, so, he also, uh, he, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And we saw something very similar in chapter 4, and I'll just reiterate this quickly. Um, the rhythm of Jesus' life was private communion with the Father and public service to people. Private communion with the Father, public service to people. How do we live the Christian life? We follow the example of Jesus. Private communion with the Father, public service to people. Private communion with the Father, public service to people. That's how to live uh, the, the, the Christian life, to live in the way that Jesus lived. So, again, in this text... We see physical healing. We see a, a picture of spiritual healing. As we think about physical, uh, physical healing here, what, what was Jesus' activity? What do we see here? We see that Jesus is able to heal and does heal when it is his will. Notice how the man approached him. He didn't tell him what to do. He said, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. That's how to approach God. Now, again, prosperity gospel, some of those teachers say you should never pray, Lord, if it's your will be, Lord, your will be done. That's not a statement of faith. That's what they would say. Which is kind of strange to me when Jesus himself prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. Like, it seems like to me you shouldn't probably listen to someone who's telling you to pray the opposite of the way that Jesus prayed. I mean, when we pray, Lord, if you're willing, what we're saying is, God, I know you're able, but I trust that you know what's best. And sometimes, in a physical sense, on this earth, it's his will to heal. Sometimes it's not. Why? I don't know. I mean, I think about, you know, maybe the most fruitful pastor who ever lived was Charles Spurgeon. But he had lots of physical afflictions, particularly with gout, that the Lord never healed him of. He died at 57. And in my sinful, stupid questioning sometimes, I mean, this is just an example, like, you know, God, why wouldn't you let him live longer to be more fruitful? Why, why is a heretic having a long, happy life and Spurgeon's dying at 57? And, you know, like, I wouldn't do it that way, but... You know, nobody wants me running the universe. So, I mean, that's a stupid way to think. But we ask questions like that, don't we? Like, why is this a certain way? Why, why are you doing it? Why don't you do this, God? Why are you doing this? And, but the conviction here is that Jesus is able to heal, and he does heal when it's his will. Now, notice how this man approached him. And this is instructive to us if we're seeking physical healing for how to approach Jesus, he, he approached him humbly. I mean, he bowed before him. He said, if you're willing. But he asked. 
The Bible says we have not because we ask not. If you're suffering, ask God to do something about it. He may not do what you want him to do. He may not do it when you want him to, but he might. But, again, we have to trust that his ways are higher than our ways, that his will is what's best, that he knows better than what we do. He may, in some cases, have a purpose that we can't see. We have to remember that any earthly suffering is just temporary, and the Bible says in Christ it's wearing a greater weight of glory. And he wants us to live with an eternal perspective, not a temporary perspective. But listen, I get when we're suffering, that's hard to do. So he approached him humbly. He asked. You know, he surrendered. He, he bowed before him. He said, Lord. But ultimately, he trusted him. So ultimately, the question is, can we trust God? Will we trust God that he's able? But whether or not he's willing in a particular case that we can believe that he knows what's best. Now, that's opposite the prosperity gospel, which basically says we can just t- tell God to do whatever we want to do. We have to remember God's sovereign, we're not. Our faith isn't sovereign. God and his will are sovereign. Now, with that said, let me just, I want to take a few minutes and, and share uh, just kind of how I understand what the Bible teaches about healing, just a few basic statements. And you may not agree with all of them, but I, I think they're biblical. And if you have questions, I'd be happy to talk about it. Again, this is something, I mean, this hits the, this is where the rubber meets the road and where we live, right? A lot of you are dealing with some kind of significant physical ailment. If you're not, I would say probably all of us are close to someone who is. And so, I think we need to have a biblically accurate faith when it comes to this issue. So let me give you seven statements. Here's the first one. In a general uh, sense, the existence of sickness is the result of the fall and us living in a sinful, broken world. So I'm not talking about any specific case. I'm just saying in general, there's sickness in the world because there's sin in the world. God made everything good, but when sin came, Everything fell, the world's broken, we're broken, the world's in a state of decay, we're in a state of decay, the world is under a curse, and, and, and so people die. And, you know, environmentally, genetically, there are things that affect us. Nothing, including our health, is what it was originally designed to be because of the effect of the fall. So why is there sickness in the world? It's because there's sin in the world. Now, again, I'm not talking about in, in some kind of uh, you know, particular case. I'm just talking about in general. It's kind of like life in East Tennessee, like spring in East Tennessee. You see the beauty of creation, and then you have a, a, a allergies, and you experience the effects of the fall. Just kind of how it works. Okay, number two. Now, this is getting more specific, and you need to listen very carefully here because I don't want you to hear something that I'm not saying, but this is very important. This is the question of, in the life of a believer, are there particular spiritual reasons that could cause sickness? And the biblical answer is yes. Now, does that mean there's some kind of significant spiritual thing behind every sickness you get? My answer would be, 
God's sovereign over everything. Nothing happens by accident, but really, I don't know. I mean, if you get a cold, I would just consider that being part of living in a fallen world. I wouldn't attach some great spiritual significance to it, but, you know, maybe I'm underestimating that. That'd just be my opinion. But there are at least three specific spiritual reasons the Bible mentions that someone could be sick or even die. Saying could be. I'm not saying any of these is the case in your particular situation. Everybody hearing that, right? Because I don't want somebody like throwing something at me because I'm, you're hearing me say something I'm not saying, okay? Let me just give you these three reasons and we'll unpack them. One reason is sometimes believers are sick because God is disciplining them for unrepentant sin in their life. If you're sick, I'm not saying that's the case. I mean, I don't want to be like the prosperity gospel teacher who say if you're sick, it's because there's sin or because you don't have enough faith. That is not necessarily the case. But I don't want to go to the other extreme and be unbiblical and say it's necessarily, it, it could be the case. you got to figure that out. So sometimes people get sick. It has nothing to do with sin. It's just part of the plan and purpose of God. God has a higher purpose in it that maybe we can't see. And a third reason is sometimes it can come as a result of satanic activity. Let me show you each of these biblically just so you'll know that I'm not making it up. So the first one, discipline for unrepentant sin. Now, we could look at all kinds of text and see where God afflicts someone with sickness or someone in their family because of sin. So it may not just be us. It could be someone else that God is using as a part of this discipline. But if I just give you one New Testament text, I mean, not just, you know, you can look at lots of things in the Old Testament. One New Testament text, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, 27, says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread, talking about communion, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And then notice verse 30. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, which means many die in Christ. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So it is possible, and if you have some kind of ongoing health problem, it would be good to ask the Holy Spirit you know, to search your heart and show you, is there some unrepentant sin in my life that could be the cause of this, or could at least be a hindrance to God answering my prayers when I'm praying for healing? But again, it may have nothing to do with sin. It could just be that it's part of God's sovereign plan and purpose for your life, that he's using for his glory, for your good, that he's using for a testimony or a witness. I mean, a couple examples of that, Job. Job 1.8, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, If you consider my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So uh, God let Satan afflict him, but at the same time, he's basically saying, here's the model man, right? He, he's blameless and upright, 
but he still got sick. So it may be, like Job, that your sickness has nothing to do with sin. You're in fellowship with God. Uh, I mean, another example, John chapter 9. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so Jesus is going to correct a Jewish misunderstanding here. They thought if somebody was born blind, it was because either the, the baby sinned in utero, don't ask me how that would work, that makes no sense to me, or that the parents had sinned. And so Jesus answered and said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. In other words, this, this guy's not blind because he sinned. He was born blind, so someday in the sovereign plan of God, I would come along and heal him and work a miracle in him. It's just like, you know, Molly, our, our daughter, who was born with a very rare heart defect, had open heart surgery when she was three days old. I mean, in some sense, that's a product of the fall, yes, but I think in the sovereignty of God, it's not random or accidental. It's part of God's plan for her life for him to heal her, work in her, and it be a part of her testimony for his glory. God's sovereign. So sometimes there's things happening. And, and so, like, if, if you're sick and you, can't, you don't have any reason to think it's because of sin or it's because of, you know, Satan and, you know, you're praying and God's not healed you, okay, then you got to look what's God's purpose in it. But we also see in Scripture many examples that Satan, now God has to allow him to do this because God's sovereign over Satan. He often uses him a tool. But Satan sometimes afflicts people with sickness. You know, Job chapter 2, verse 7, uh, it says, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Luke 13, 16, So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And of course, that's the Apostle Paul. Of course, one of the things we learn from the Apostle Paul is he, the, that text also says they asked the Lord three times to take it away. God didn't heal him. God said, My grace is sufficient. For you, And you actually see two of these three things going on here in the example of the Apostle Paul. It wasn't because of sin, it was the activity of Satan, but God was using the activity of Satan because of the revelations that he was giving Paul and how greatly he was using Paul. He was using this sickness, this affliction, whatever it was exactly, to keep him from becoming prideful. So we see an example here again of God using sickness for a greater and more eternal kind of purpose. Now, probably all of us deep down somewhere want to live healthy every day till we're like 95 and then die in our sleep, right? So that may be hard to accept. But again, God is more focused on eternity. We're more focused on our comfort in the here and now. Number three, uh, God can and does heal. Today, I would add that in, I believe God can and does heal through both natural and supernatural means. 
When I say natural means, Paul told Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Matthew 9, 12, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Colossians 4, 14 calls Luke the beloved physician, which would seem to be an affirmation of doctors. Listen, any healings from the Lord, whether he does it miraculously or if he works through doctors, scientists, dentists, nurses, whoever, those people are a gift from God. And if you work in the medical profession, I appreciate what you do. I think it's a ministry. I think it's an act of service. It's part of God's common grace that he uses to be a blessing in people's lives. And, um, you know, medical advances, those kind of things, I mean, we ought to be thankful for those kind of things, right? I mean, it's got to be better than the alternative. I mean, it's nice that we don't die because we don't have access to antibiotics, right? It's nice that something's wrong with us, somebody's not going to leech us to try to make us better, right? It's nice if you go to Dr. Stinson because you need a tooth pulled that he can numb it, you know, (laughs) and you're just not having to scream while he's using some pliers or something like that. So that's a blessing. God uses natural means. But I believe he also uses supernatural means. I mean, Exodus 15, 26, the end of that verse says, For I am the Lord who heals you. Uh, Jehovah Rapha, one of the names of God, part of the nature of God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a healer. You say, have you seen God heal people supernaturally? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I go back to uh, when I was in seminary, we were on staff at Open Door Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, one, I think it was a Wednesday night, and we had a prayer meeting. Uh, we prayed for a man by the name of Ron Aldridge, who's, uh, who's a pastor now. He had torn his Achilles. He was about to have to have Achilles surgery, which is a horrible recovery. And we prayed for him, anointed him with oil. He was playing tennis the next day. No exaggeration. That same prayer meeting... Uh, my wife, Robin, who would have been in, in her 20s at that point in time, was diagnosed with macular g- degeneration. I mean, you know, we've seen the before and after pictures. I mean, macular degeneration is a bad thing in your 20s. And, uh, but, but God healed her. It was never a problem again uh, after that. Uh, you know, I think of a, of a young girl one time we prayed for in a service at True Life who had asthma so bad the doctors were telling her parents they're going to have to move to a different climate. God healed her that day. It's never been a problem since then. There's a deaf lady that God healed at a medical clinic in Honduras. And I go on and on. I've seen God heal people. Uh, I mean, I believe that he does that miraculously and supernaturally in some cases. He has all power. Again, you say, why is he not doing that for me? And I wish I could answer that for you. Number four, and and I just said some of this, it's not always God's will to heal on earth, but every believer is completely and permanently healed in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, we got a glorified body that's patterned after the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. Revelation 21.4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. But along with that, number five, and, and this is kind of a response again to the prosperity gospel, earthly healing is not guaranteed by the atonement. Listen to me, Jesus did not die for, he did not atone for your sicknesses on the cross. He atoned for your sins. 
Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. But uh, 1 Peter 2, 24, when, when it quotes that, makes it very clear. It's talking about spiritual healing, that, that He died for our sins. Now, as a byproduct of that, though, not on the earth, but in heaven, as a byproduct of the atonement, there's no more sickness because Jesus' atonement removes the curse. You remove the curse, then there's no more sickness. But that happens in heaven, not on earth. Number six, God sometimes heals in response to faith, sometimes in response to the faith of others, meaning people like bringing a sick person to Jesus and asking for healing, and sometimes in the absence of of faith. And I don't have time to develop this. If you want the scripture references to that, let me know and, and, and I'll give them to you. But here's, my, here's the point that I'm making again, kind of in response to the prosperity gospel. God is sovereign, not our faith. You can't believe strong enough to undo the sovereign will of God. Okay, God's in control of all of this. But then number seven, and this is very important, praying for the sick is a normative part of the ministry of the local church. We're commanded to pray for each other. Even beyond that, James 5.13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You say, do you do that at True Life? Absolutely. We would invite you to contact the elders, ask us to do that. Uh, again, I'm not claiming to be Benny Hinn. I'm not going to guarantee some kind of healing. But, uh, I mean, we're going to trust God and trust that his will be done and, and pray for you. But then I want you to notice something. Verse 15 says, The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So, again, here's that connection. Sometimes we're going to pray for healing, it needs to be accompanied by the confession of our sins. So there's physical healing. Let me finish uh, quickly by talking about spiritual healing and, and just the picture. The, this miracle of cleansing in this passage is a picture of the gospel. How so? Think about it. Well, leprosy is a picture of sin. Sin like leprosy defiles. They had to go around and cry unclean. It separates and isolates just like a leper was. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to isolate you. L listen, when people are in sin, they usually run away from the fellowship of the church. Sin numbs us like leprosy does. Listen, sometimes people are like, man, my conscience doesn't even bother me anymore. I can just do whatever, and, and I don't even feel bad about it. Like it's a good thing. Listen, that's about the most dangerous place that you could ever be. And if you're anywhere approaching that, I would strongly encourage you to beg God for his mercy today and ask him to awaken your conscience. Sin hurts us. It ultimately makes us dead men walking. But again, the ultimate point of this is that Jesus touches and cleanses sinners without defiling himself. Again, 
It doesn't say he healed the man. It said he cleansed the man. Why? Because leprosy is a picture of sin. He, t- he touched him, and he wasn't defiled, but he cleansed him. Listen, that's what he does to us. When we bring our sins to the cross, he cleanses us without himself being defiled. Uh, he, he exchanges our uh, unrighteousness for his righteousness. Listen, whatever you've done, wherever you are, you can bring it to Jesus, and he can and will cleanse you because he's already died for that sin on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. 1 John 1, seven. His blood is cleansing us from all sin. But then what flows out of that is that Jesus cleansing us reconciles us to God and it brings us into the community of God's people. So if you read Leviticus 13 and 14 um, and, and stayed awake, I mean it's Leviticus, uh, what you would learn about this, and I'll just give you a, a quick summary, is, is that basically, you know, Jesus said, go to the priest. Well, when we went to the priest, the priest examined him. And then there was these rituals that you went through. And, and then on, on, on the eighth day, you offer these sacrifices, and there's a big uh, celebration, you know, that's verified that he was cleansed. But what this does in the word of Kent Hughes is this foreshadowed the effect of Christ's blood which reconciles man to God and makes it possible for the sinner to join the household of faith. Think about it. A leper was isolated. They couldn't go to the temple, couldn't sacrifice, couldn't couldn't worship God, so they were separated from God. They were separated from people. They were all on their own. They couldn't be a part of the community of faith. So when Jesus cleansed this man, it wasn't just a physical miracle that was a physical blessing to him. It brought this man back to his family. It brought this man back to the people of God. It enabled this uh, man to worship again. Well, you know what? When you, when, when you and I get saved, if you're a Christian, that's exactly what Jesus' blood, what his sacrifice did for us. In Christ, we're vertically reconciled to the Father and horizontally, we're brought into community together as the family of God, the people of God. That's the point of the church, that we're together in Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both, meaning Jews and Gentiles, one in him, in the church, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. We're a new people, the redeemed people of God. And that he might reconcile them both to God, that's vertical, in one, in one body, that's the church, that's horizontal, 
through the cross. That's what happened through Jesus' sacrifice. Then verse 19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being dwelt together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. If we're in Christ, God through His Holy Spirit indwells us individually and corporately as a part of His church. And, and, and Jesus cleansing this leper pictures all of that that He literally accomplished on the cross. When a leper was cleansed, what did it lead to? It, it led to consecration and celebration. Listen, if we're cleansed by Christ, what should it lead to? Us consecrating our lives to Him, to walk with Him, to live as a living sacrifice before Him, and then celebrating what He's done for us. I mean, can you imagine the celebration that this man and his family had on this eighth day after going through this, that they had been brought back together. I mean, that this man's skin was completely clean and pure, that this miracle had taken place. I mean, put yourself in issue. I mean, you'd be going crazy. This would be so awesome. But listen, if we're not celebrating Jesus, we're not worshiping him, we either have never experienced or we're just taken for granted what he did for us to cleanse us, to cleanse us and to reconcile us with God and with each other. So what's the response to this? To, to, to lead, live a life of celebration, to live a life uh, of worship, to respond to Jesus like this guy did, an awareness of our sin. Remember, a leper had to cry out unclean. We want to be saved and start saying, I'm unclean, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I, I, I surrender to you. I trust you. I'm sorry. Just humbly say, you know, I need your forgiveness. I trust what you did for me on the cross. I can't save myself. I'm hopeless and helpless. I'm a dead man walking. I'm separated from God. I'm separated from you. I, I, I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. I can't earn my own forgiveness. Will you cleanse me? And he's always willing to do that. That's why I died on the cross. He's already done it. All you have to do is receive him and what he's done for you. He's paid the price. He's atoned for your sins. You can be clean and new in him. So what do we do with this? Here's what I encourage you to do. If you're not a Christian, to come to Christ. Humbly submit to him. Ask him to forgive you, to cleanse you, to save you, to make you new. He'll do that. So if you've got questions about that, talk to me. Talk to somebody you know here. Let us walk you through that. That's spiritual healing. Physical healing, some of you need it today. I'd encourage you to reach out. Talk to the Lord. Ask, him, ask for others to pray for you. But I'd also to encourage you. Just prayerfully consider, okay, does God have a higher purpose than this? Is that why he's not healing me? Is this spiritual warfare? Is that how I need to approach this? Is there sin that I need to repent of that's a factor in this? And I think that's the biblical way to approach this. So if you would, let's bow our heads and, and, and close our eyes. And we're going to sing and give you a chance to respond. And, and as we sing, I just want to invite you. You can talk or pray about something. I'll be here at the front. But also, if you just want to come and pray, if you just want to pray, just be alone with God, just you and God. If you'll come to the, my right, 
my right side of the stage, your left. That just signifies you want to talk to the Lord. But if you want somebody to pray with you, if you'll come to the stage on your right, my left, there's people here that will pray with you, pray for you. We invite you to do that. Lord God, I just pray just for your power to move. I ask that God, as according to your will, should heal people physically. But God, I, I pray that your spirit would draw people to yourself and that they'd be forgiven of their sins. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. And I pray, God, that people would trust you and, and would receive that today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's stand and sing.